war, media, and fandom. How will these three elements intertwine in a growing conflict? This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Austin Ramsey about the upcoming mega-podcast, Kalazcon. Using Austin's system, Beam Saber, explore democratic military operation, starring 30 players as they enter a war zone. With twists and turns for the show waiting, we explore the backdrop of the setting and how it'll all go down. It's all happening right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really excited to be coming at you with a very unique and super cool project by a creator who is, well, Austin, you're really trying to organize something huge here, and I'm very excited to hear about it. So Austin, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Like I said, I was looking at the the stuff and I realized that you and I don't live too far from each other. And that got me. I was like, oh, yes, another Canadian. It's been a while since I've had somebody else from <laughs> from here on the show. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fun time. So, Austin, we're here to talk about a very interesting, unique, kind of very different project than anything else I've really talked about. The closest thing would be I once featured a podcast that a friend was launching that had a lot of people involved in it. And this is probably the closest thing to that, that I've seen in a long time. We're going to be talking about Kalazcon. Am I saying that right? I just want to double check. <laughs> I, I say Kalazcon. So Kalazcon. Okay. Yeah. But close enough. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Kalazcon and I'm pumped because it's featuring one of what I think is the best forged in the dark games. And that's beam saber phenomenal game, by the way, great choice. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Before we hop into it though, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, So hi everyone. My name is Austin Ramsey. My pronouns are he and him. I am a tabletop role-playing game designer and podcaster and streamer uh, for tabletop role-playing games. I best, I'm best known for the aforementioned Beam Saber. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I've been talking like you didn't write Beam Saber. <laughs> like, I, I should have probably started off with that. I'm embarrassed. I just realized how I've been talking about this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm worries. nervous. This is one of my favorite games. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've made some other games, too. Uh, at least one other Forge in the Dark game and some other smaller games. All of those you can find at austin-ramsey.itch.io I also streamed two actual play shows uh, The Cenotaph, which was a Beam Saber actual play Mm -hmm. and The Last City which was a a Fantasy Craft actual play Yeah, I was also the primary GM for the now concluded actual play podcast You Don't Meet In and In which was about exploring obscure tabletop role-playing games with a rotating cast. We ran from 2014 to 2022. Wow. And played a wide variety of games in that time. So yeah, that's uh, that's me in a, in a nutshell, I guess, my internet presence. I wouldn't say that being the creator of Beam Saper is a small one. You guys are pretty popular, at least with some of my uh, my personal favorite podcasts i know that they've used it before i'm pretty sure that you won a people's choice award from Dicebreaker too didn't you yes yes i did yeah that was uh the 2022 award it was pretty recent um yeah i i've been i put in a lot of hard work to make beam saber what it is Mm -hmm. um both personally and in getting people to work with me on the project and I've also been very fortunate to uh, work with uh, those people and um, people who, you know, helped me indirectly that helped promote the the game through yeah. playing it or just talking about it. So I'm uh, very happy with how it's come out. Uh, well, physical version is uh, hasn't shipped yet. Should be. I've I've 
got a contract with the printers now. There's <laughs> there were unfortunately <laughs> many delays between the Kickstarter and now. You know, I launched the Kickstarter for Beam Saber in March 2020. It's uh, really that long ago. Yeah, you know, there's a uh, something really big happened well, uh, yeah, between <laughs> between then and now that uh, delayed everything in a, a, a multitude of ways. Um, so that that's unfortunately delayed the game a fair bit, but at the same time, that's allowed me to you know tweak it a little bit mm-hmm. here and there, and yeah. I'm very happy with how it's come out in the end. It's really good. I know you've heard that before. <laughs> Beam Saber is very, very good. And I have been trying to get friends to play it for a very long time. And hopefully this episode will help convince them. Well, I guess um, for any any of your listeners who might be in uh, the greater Toronto area, um, I'm going to be at Breakout Con running Beam Saber in uh, March. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so people are welcome to swing by and hop into one of the, sign up for one of the sessions. I'm also going to be uh, running BattleTech, but that's not a that's not a role playing <laughs> game. That's a no. tabletop war game. It's still fun though. Yeah. So we're here to talk about Calascon, and I think that this is a super cool, really big project. Like I said, I'm fascinated by it because you're going for a huge scope. So can you tell the audience a little bit about what Kelazcon is and kind of how you're looking to pull this off? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Kelazcon is going to be a mega game actual play series. And what that means is that there are going to be 31 on-screen participants across six groups. There's going to be five traditional Beam Saber squads that are going to be four pilots and one GM each. And then each squad is going to be represented by a legislator, and they each each of the legislators will get together after one cycle of play, a cycle of play being a mission followed by a downtime for each squad. Uh, and the legislators, they will vote on what the next direction of the story will be. Uh, they'll do that voting in character because every single squad is going to be a member of the Democratic Federated Systems. Ah, okay. Yeah. So uh, a military democracy is uh, what it's going to be. And mm-hmm. we're going to see how each squad impacts each other since they're all going to be playing um, in the same shared world location uh, focused around a single city. And then even if they don't, um, you know, end up messing directly with each other's squads, uh, because Beam Saber doesn't have PvP rules, Forge in the Dark isn't designed for PvP. No. Um, But there will be NPCs as part of each of the other squads. Uh, That was something I'd considered. So mm-hmm. it will be possible for them to directly interact, but they're also definitely going to affect each other indirectly. Yeah. Even if that's just because, you know, uh, an NPC from one squad's mission will pop up in another squad's mission, potentially. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of this legislator, and I love the interactivity between them. But before we kind of hop into it, because I'm realizing now not everybody might know what Bean Saber is. So do you want to give just like a little rundown on what Bean Saber is real quick before we kind of go on with Kalazcon and telling people about how this is going to run? Yeah, so Bean Saber is a forged in the dark game about pilots of powerful machines in a war that consumes every aspect of life. Uh, they're just trying to do their part and get out mentally and physically intact, and hopefully they can bring others with them. Uh, so as I said, it's a Forge in the Dark game, which gives it a very particular structure of a mission, which has a particular style of play, uh, very familiar to most tabletop role-playing, traditional tabletop role-playing games, very action-oriented, mm-hmm. um, lots of mech action and on-foot sci-fi action. Yeah. Um, and then once a mission is completed, that's followed by a downtime phase where the players get into interpersonal drama as they 
do the things they need to do to prepare for their next mission, whether that's repairing their vehicles, healing, uh, reducing their stress, or um, working on projects, getting to know each other better. There's a variety of things, and all of it uh, creates interesting uh, relationships between the characters. Mm -hmm. It is one of those games that I think when you're using this many people, it really works because you have the faction system in the Forged in the Dark games and Beam Saber uses factions in a very, very good way. I really like the squad system in it. I think that with a game this big, Beam Saber and Forged in the Dark games in general is really the only system out there that's theoretically designed to be able to handle something like this. I I don't know. I'll be honest, I haven't I mean, part of the reason that I the main part the main reason that I'm using Beam Saber for this project is because I do know it so well. And also uh it's building off of the back of a system. So Beam Saber has many supplements for it out at this point. Yeah. Um I've written 3 myself. Uh, and then I also released a license so that anyone who wants to make their own Beam Saber supplement uh, can do so mm -hmm. um, and keep all of the profits. Uh, you don't need to send me in any information about it. Um, the only requirement really uh, is that you credit Beam Saber myself and you don't make it so that your supplement stands on its own. You need to have the, yeah. the core rule book to use your uh, licensed supplements. Um, mm -hmm. But that uh, has inspired a lot of people to make a whole bunch of supplements um, in yeah. all kinds of directions. Um, but one of the supplements that I wrote, uh, I would say the main supplement, the growing conflict uh, that adds one, one of the things that it adds is a faction management subset of rules, which you can add into your campaign if your players want to get into the nitty gritty of being in control of a, of a massive government, mm -hmm. as well as playing as their uh, characters that go on missions and so forth. And so yeah. Kaliskan is building off of the rules for managing a democratic faction that are found mm -hmm. in the growing conflict. Um, there are rules for managing other factions as well, like a corporatocracy or a theocracy. Um, but those are uh, not what we're using because they're all very different. And I wanted to make sure that every single group had some kind of say in the management of uh, their government yeah. in this actual play and thus the democracy. So during CalsCon, there's going to be the legislator role, and that's how a lot of that democracy is going to be happening. I'm guessing that's going to be happening in the parlo the parliamentary episodes. So let's let's talk a little bit about that role and how that's going to work for the squads. Yeah, so each squad is going to have a legislator that is attached to them. The legislator isn't going to be going on missions at all. Um, in fact. There's not going to be any on-screen interactions between the pilots and the legislator that represents them. Mm. Uh, one one of the themes of the show is going to be the uh, limits of representative democracy. Ah, and so there's that restriction on uh, in-character communication. Uh, mm -hmm. Behind the scenes, the the players will be uh, talking with each other about their goals for the squad and so yeah. forth. Um, so yeah, they'll have a legislator, and after each cycle of play, all the legislators will get together, and they are going to uh, give speeches, make deals, and then eventually vote on the direction of the story going forward in the form of assigning missions to the squads. Those missions can be assigned on any basis, uh, whether they choose to assign it to for the legislator to try and fulfill the goals of the squad that they are mm -hmm. representing, to fulfill the goals of the faction at large, to fulfill their own personal goals, or perhaps they trade votes 
uh, for resources for their squad and vote mm-hmm. along someone else's desires. Okay. And the votes are all uh, going to be a bit uneven because, uh, like other, like several other Forge in the Dark games, squads in Beam Saber have tiers, uh, yeah. which represents how large and how powerful each squad is. Both NPC squads and player-controlled squads have tiers. And for the legislature, the number of votes uh, a legislator gets is equal to their squad's tier. So we have one uh, tier one squad, one tier three squad, and three tier two squads. So we will see how all of those votes shake out. Um, <laughs> if if some of the squads are going to rally together to cast votes along a certain direction as a voting block, mm-hmm. or if the tier three squad is going to be able to throw its weight around. Um, I'm very curious about how all of that is going to interact with each other. I'm super interested in that as well. Calscon is... It's a lot of people. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of moving parts. About how many people are attached to this project, Austin? Um, there are 32 people attached to the project at this time. Wow. 31 of them are going to be on-screen participants, myself included. Um, and then the, the one person who's not going to be on-screen is uh, going to be one of our three audio-video editors. Okay. Um, I'm going to be one of those as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of people. It's a lot of moving parts. Like that's, I think that's what drew this to me. Actually, actually, I said I said 32 people, but that's not entirely true because I didn't uh, count the two artists who aren't going to be on screen that are going to be uh, creating art for the game as well. Just as so. important. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so many people. And this is the one that kind of blew my mind. A couple minutes ago, right before we started to hit recording, I asked you what's something you really wanted to make sure that we talked about. And that was the fact that there are so many playbooks at play for this. And I think that's super interesting. So can you tell me about playbooks for Calscon and how they're being used and if there was like a, a way of assigning them or people selecting which playbook they're going to be for this when it happens. So the way that I managed that was uh, when I put out the request for applicants, I had people email me with their desired roles. If they want to be a pilot, a GM or one of the legislators Um, And if there was a yes, a no, or maybe for each of those roles. Um, And then for anyone who, you know, sent that initial email and then sent them a follow-up questionnaire asking them a bunch of questions. uh, And two of those key questions were, what are your five most preferred pilot playbooks? And what are your five most preferred squad playbooks? And we're only using the pilot and squad playbooks found in the core rule book and in the growing conflict, because there are so many uh, third party yes, playbooks that I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't control for the contents of each of them mm-hmm. and still managed to get a consistent tone uh, for, for the show. So between the main rulebook and Growing Conflict, there are 20 pilot playbooks and I want to say 14, 15, 14 I think, uh, squad playbooks. Um, so yeah, I asked everyone for what their top five preferences are in each category, uh, and then I color-coded them, and I sat <laughs> down... And with a spreadsheet, and I figured out, uh, well, first I figured out which players I was going to use, um, considering things like mic quality, because I got everyone yeah. to send in a voice sample, uh, and then time zones. I, I, I got kind of lucky, because it wound up being that there was 
effectively one one group's worth of people uh, in the UK, one group's worth of people on the eastern seaboard, one group's worth of people uh, down like the middle of North America, and then two groups worth of people on the west coast. So that's convenient. Yeah, it worked out very tidily for me. Um, and so I grouped those together primarily on time zone. And then I followed up that up by grouping them based on their squad playbook desires, trying mm-hmm. to give everyone uh, the squad playbooks that they're most interested in using. Yeah. Um, and then once those were all lined up, then it was to d- dig into all of the pilot playbooks that everyone had said. And everyone managed to get a pilot playbook that they were interested in uh, within their top five. So it worked out well. It just took a lot of effort to make sure that there was no overlap and that everyone was happy. How'd you go about organizing that? Because I know you said a spreadsheet, but that's that's <laughs> huge, man. That's so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I like I said, I, I had a spreadsheet set up. Um, with uh, you know, the names of each player on a, in a column, and then their desires from like number one choice to number five choice, each in their own columns. Uh, and each playbook had um, the same color. So, like the soldier playbook, every single instance of request for the soldier was the same color of blue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Once some once I had decided that someone was going to get one of those playbooks, I would uh, pull it to the far left past the number one position to show that it was like pulled out of their selections. And then I would gray out the rest of their selections and then gray out all the other color matching uh, choices so that I could instantly see which of like anyone who picked soldier and uh, that didn't get the that didn't get picked for soldier I could instantly see which of their options were grayed out for instance and which okay. were still remaining and I tried to I tried to give everyone their number one option and most people did get their number one option there was a I mean there are 20 pilot playbooks yeah there's 20 players and so there was not too much overlap um in in people's desires uh there, there definitely was some, which is why it took a while to figure it all out, but mm-hmm. it worked out well in the end. Yeah. I think that's one of Beam Saber's strengths, really. You give people a lot of options that don't feel like they're stepping on the toes of other people and other playbooks, which is really impressive considering how easy it is to make certain things overlap. And like, th- there are similar classes in that they would sort of in real life fill a similar niche but gameplay wise i think it's so impressive so just the fact that there are so many options for beam saber and calscon is giving people a lot of options to see a bunch of different playbooks in action i think it's going to be a really cool show with a lot of really unique and interesting characters yeah i'm really excited to see how uh, several of these playbooks end up interacting because uh, Beam Saber has some expected, you know, traditional playbooks. Most of the ones in the core rule book are uh, at somewhat par. Well, I don't want to say par for the course, but expected, well, I mean, you got your soldier, like yeah, expected of the genre, right? Um, but the weirdest two probably being the empath and the bureaucrat. Love um, the empath so much <laughs> it's so good uh and then the growing conflict has a lot weirder playbooks um like the hive which is uh, a pilot who has six bodies because they play a hive mind mm. um, or the forewarned that was uh, a mechanical experiment on my part to see if i could effectively combine the token economy of a belonging outside belonging game into a forged in the dark game. Huh? (laughs) I haven't looked at it. So that sounds super unique and different. 
and I'm kind of into it. Yeah, it was it was a fun design challenge to try and figure out how I might do that. Um, and the way it wound up working is uh, narratively making it so that the the pilot has a future sight ability, because one of the things with the token economy belonging outside belonging is that you know when you're when you're able to make power moves and have guaranteed success because you have tokens that you can then spend on your strong moves mm-hmm. but you also know that to get those tokens you need to voluntarily fail or be vulnerable uh, and make weak moves to gain tokens um, to, to very uh, be reductionist about what belonging outside belonging is um, and so the forewarned uh, at the start of the uh, a session um, or at the start of a mission, they make a roll and generate a prediction pool. And so every single time they make a roll, at least one of the dice from their prediction pool must be included in in place of one of their dice in the roll. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and so they can guarantee that a roll is going to have a one or is going to have a six, um, but they don't know what the rest of the dice are going to come up as. So uh, cool. So yeah, that's that's what that's those are probably the two weirdest playbooks, but there are also mm. some other weird ones that come out of the growing conflict. And uh of course they got they got sprinkled throughout the various squads. Yeah. We've been talking a little bit about mechanical effects and playbooks, but something I'm really interested in Calscon is the lore, because we know it's a militaristic democracy and we know it's takes place in the future. But I want to know a little bit about what the story is about Calscon and everything else that's going on with that. I've seen some images you've sent me. Could you tell us a little bit about the lore that's going on here and how these squads are going to be affected by it? So in broad strokes, um, the series is going to take place on a planet under the control of the Jovengelian Empire that has been invaded by the democratic federated systems with the purpose of liberating the planet from the empire. Um, Okay. And the citizens of the empire have resisted the liberation um, at every turn. Uh, And so, you know, as so often happens, the war that was supposed to be over by Christmas metaphorically uh, has Mm. taken three years um, and it's coming to a conclusion because uh, there's it, it's just a matter of time before the yeah. before the democracy wins out um, in spite of the insurgency. And one of the uh, key strongholds of the insurgency is one particular city called Hestial. And as the two exhausted forces gather their might in and around Hestial, preparing for that final battle, then a third belligerent enters the conflict. And that third belligerent is the nomadic convention, Kalizkan. And so Kalizkan is a traveling convention uh, focused on the fictional media franchise of Kalizar. And it crashes into the city and occupies it. And because it's full of uh, fresh, non-war-weary fanatics, uh, it throws everything into chaos and occupies the city. And so the DFS military that has invaded the planet is put onto its back foot um, because all of its available troops are here, and but they're not prepared for this. Uh, fresh foe and the military forces local to the planet and local to the city that have gathered there have been greatly disrupted and scattered and put under the boot of this convention. Um, And so the convention takes over the city, filling it with, um, you know, all the kinds of things you'd expect to see at a convention. You've got cosplay contests, you've got vendors, you've got artists, uh, you've got uh, people looking for swag. You've got panels. You've you know got previews. <laughs> um, 
just turning the occupying the city and turning it into one big, uh, uh, you know, promotional event for this long running media franchise. So yeah, so uh, thematically, the setting is an examination of a couple things: the absurdity and wonder of fandom, but also the terrors of obsession, occupation, and injecting foreign culture into a community. It's inspired by like the green zone in Baghdad during the Iraq war, where the U S military's private contractors inserted American fast food chains into the heart of uh, the city for the comfort of the Americans. Yeah. Uh, Another touch point is the 501st Legion, which is a volunteer organization of star Wars stormtrooper cosplayers who do charity work while simultaneously representing a fictional fascist empire. So it's about those sorts of like weird. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's there's too many things to encompass the, the yeah. weirdness that comes <laughs> out of you know fans of fictional media, right? Yeah, it's like the uh, during the uh, I think it was Afghanistan. There's the Tim Hortons military unit mm-hmm. that just travels around and delivers Tim Hortons coffee to Canadian soldiers. Yeah, that that sort of uh, corporate um, grasping at anything for PR publicity or for PR reasons, um, and also how fans will grab onto and make their identities out of corporate-owned media properties. No, this is inspired uh, a lot by my interactions with the Gundam fandom. Oh. And <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh Gundam as a franchise like more broadly. Um but as I said one of the touch points is the 501st Legion because mm-hmm. Star Wars fans can be like that too. Um, yeah. And I I say all this not as like an attack on people who are fans of those franchises like i said i you know i've had these interactions with the gundam fandom because i am in the gundam fandom yep (laughs) it's just about you know knowing when to walk away and pick your battles and (laughs) yeah i often have to find myself telling myself to uh uh, that i don't need to give my opinion when i see someone who has a disastrously misinterpreted something that happened in a Gundam series I am well familiar with. <laughs> uh, just completely missing the point beyond that cool, wow, cool robot meme. Even even beyond <laughs> that. Uh, no, I, I can agree to that. It I never really thought about the 501st Legion like that. But it is a little strange seeing like Stormtrooper helping like sick kids. It's a little weird to think about. So, yeah, like it can be, it can certainly be fun to cheer for the bad guys. You know, everyone loves a heel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, want to play the bad guys every so often. But there, there are sometimes people get weirdly unquestioning about um, the, the things that they cheer for. Yeah, uh, you know, and so that's that's part of the, like I said, the absurdity and wonder of fandom mm-hmm. is uh, one of the themes of uh, of the show that we're trying to explore with this setting. Um, and you know, some character uh, players are already integrating how their characters are going to interact with this mega media franchise into their characters. You know, um, one. One player is uh, planning that uh, her character is going to make body pillows as a way to raise <laughs> funds for their squad. Um, another one is uh, uh, secretly a well-known um, fan fiction writer for oh the series. Gosh. You know, one of them uh, signed up with the military to come to the convention. Um, so it's going to it's going to be real interesting <laughs> to see how the characters interact with the convention and also with the people who are under the convention's boot that they are here to liberate originally from 
their, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't exactly say appointed government since the Jovengelian Empire is an autocracy, um, but the government that they are, that they call home. Mm-hmm. Um, and now these, to liberate them from these occupiers as well. Uh, so there's a lot going on. It would be like if Disney just planted roots in the middle of a war zone. Yep. Like that's, that's what it is basically, right? Yeah. Um, well, yes and no. Uh, yes, because you're absolutely right. There is that uh, corporate um, endorsement of the venture, but also no, because conventions in many ways are labors of love of fans Mm. Uh, regardless of their size, you know, the something like San Diego Comic-Con is absolutely massive. And I'm sure it has ties to DC and Marvel and yeah. Dark Horse and whatnot. But also, it's not being run by those groups. No. You know, it's being independently run, I'm sure, at the scale it's at is being run. You know, it is being run by a corporation dedicated to that purpose. But the people like a lot of people who work there and who volunteer there are still going to be fans of these uh, products Mm -hmm. and not be uh, financially compensated for their work with, by the products owners. No, that makes total sense to me. I think that's a a super cool way to, to think about it. I think about whenever a con comes to Toronto or Niagara Falls and seeing that kind of, run through and how that explodes for a little while and then it's just gone so i think that's a super cool way to go about it and it's a really interesting premise for a show speaking of this show though it's got a lot of people involved a lot of episodes obviously planned because you want everybody to get some spotlights and i know that you're going to be streaming and pre-recording a lot of it and then airing it later how much content do you think is going to come out of calzacon down the line how long do you think it'll run uh it's gonna run for a long time um it's gonna be over two years long um i i've done the math because uh each each squad is going to have 10 episodes um there are five squads Mm -hmm. uh so that's you know 50 episodes plus um an additional five episodes for the uh, for the legislators, mm-hmm. sorry, I said ten episodes. What I meant was ten sessions, and yeah. each session is going to be split into two episodes. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so twenty episodes per squad, ten episodes for the legislators. Uh, so yeah, that's it's it's a lot of episodes going to be released. It's also going to be kind of strangely front-loaded in a sense um, in terms of the recordings because the show is going to be pre-recorded and then released in a video format and a podcast format. Uh, But because we have this very precise number of uh, recording sessions that are going to happen and the episodes are going to be released weekly, and the recording is happening across multiple groups. Those groups can record relatively simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We're trying to have it set up so that each recording session happens every other week, roughly. I- ideally, okay. we want to get through one mission and one downtime recording session per squad each month. Uh, okay. And so that'll create quite the recordings backlog. Uh, for the editors to work through. And since we're only releasing one episode a week, um, it's going to you know, result in one month uh, producing quite a bit of content. Oh my gosh. Um, the, I, w- I wasn't even thinking about that, but that is, that's a lot of content right there, just even in that short amount of time. Yeah. So if, if it goes, if the recording schedule goes as planned and we get through one full cycle of play uh let's see what's the math on that that's 10 uh, 11 recording sessions so 22 episodes worth of material produced in a single month 
um, which of course won't be 22 just episodes on its own, but will have to be uh, cleaned up and edited by the three editing staff. Yeah. Um, Which because it's sort of a little bit freeing in a way to have this uh, backlog because Mm -hmm. we can start editing and not have to release anything for a while until we feel we have a sufficient edit a backlog of edited episodes. Yeah. And even once those start getting released, we don't have to worry about, um, you know, like running out of material unless something absolutely disastrous happens. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, um, I think whenever you're presenting something like this, I know it's happened with schedule for launch itself. Somebody gets sick, for instance, and then you miss a week of recording. And then, oh no, you have to release an episode and you haven't recorded it yet. I think that's one of the advantages to how you're doing this. Because so long as everything happens and you would need the absolute worst to happen for there to be no recorded episodes if you have this many people doing something. I think that's amazing and super cool. And I'm excited to see how how it all plays out me too (laughs) so here's one of the big questions austin calscon is really big and i know that you want to be able to support everybody who's participating in one way or another so where's it going to be funding and what is some of the funding going towards so uh, we're going to be on Indiegogo for funding Calascon, and the reason for that is because Indiegogo has the flexible funding format that they allow, which yeah. means that even if we don't hit our goal, uh, we still get to keep the funds that backers have chosen to get uh, support us with, mm-hmm. unlike other crowdfunding sites where you have to meet the goal. Um, and to that end, I've uh, you know kind of shot shop for the moon a bit with uh, the funding goal because um, we want to make sure that everyone gets paid. Yeah. Uh, the the players, the GMs, the video editors, um, that's going to happen for sure. It's mostly just a matter of how much everyone's going to get paid depends upon um, how well the crowdfunding does. Uh, we're also going to need to pay for podcast hosting services. Um, We'll talk about that in a second. I have some ideas for you. <laughs> As somebody who just had a very stressful day dealing with podcasting services, I'll we could talk after. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, there, there pro- there's going to be some hardware and software that we'll probably need. Um, you know, hard drive space is could potentially be a concern, uh, particularly mm-hmm. for the GMs who... Um, will be the ones recording the video component of, yeah. of their uh, sessions, which is also going to function as the audio backup, just in case anyone loses their individual audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I meant, I, I mentioned earlier that we've got artists, um, you know, I've commissioned a theme song for the show. Um, and as well as uh, art, of a a map uh, for the setting. Um, And finally, we're getting art done of uh, every single player character and their vehicle. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. That's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's uh, 25 characters. Wait, is that math right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 25 Um, characters, 25 vehicles. uh, Actually not 25 vehicles. Um, because the legislators don't have vehicles, right? And also, one of the squads ended up—they ended up as the dismounted, which is a squad playbook from the growing conflict about pe- characters who don't have mechs or vehicles at all. They are an infantry squad. That's so um, cool. So they—they they, <laughs> a really little little bit of cost savings there. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I actually, just today, I got the final versions of um, the Dismounted Squad's uh, character art, actually. Uh, And so if you check out my uh, Twitter or co-host or Mastodon or Tumblr, um, 
you can see art of uh, four of the uh, pilots. Well, pilots in quotes since they're in the dismounted squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm really happy with how it looks um, for the pilot and uh, vehicle art. We've got a uh, Ben Fluter, um, who's the webcomic creator behind uh, Sword Interval and the Beekeeper's Tale. Uh, he does incredible art. Uh, some of it is already in the Beam Saber Core rule book. Um, he did the uh, faction aesthetic uh, spot illustrations in the book, for example, as okay. well as some other pieces. Um, and his style, I felt, was really good for uh, actual play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it fits both as standalone pieces and also easily transfers into uh, digital tokens for yeah. characters as well. So yeah, and then uh, Annie Johnston Glick is providing the art for um, uh, the map. Uh, I I felt her style was extremely. Uh, suitable for the type of map I wanted because I didn't want a one-to-one like realistic style scale map yeah. for for Kaliskon. Instead, uh, I wanted to get some make something that evoked a theme park where the distances are blurred and each location is more uh, iconographic with a single image representing what's happening in that particular region rather than you know, fine details about what's there. No, I feel like I've seen that art. I think you sent me that one, or I saw it somewhere. Uh, yes, it, it's the Indiegogo one, right? Yeah, yeah, it is on the Indiegogo page. It's a lot of fun. It definitely evokes the different amusement parks or, like, attractions. Like It, it really, knowing a little bit more about the project now, it really nails the feeling of the con just showing up somewhere. I absolutely agree. I, I think it was uh, really fitting. Um, and then the uh, the theme song is uh, by Devin Nelson, um, who's actually one of the players uh, in, in the show. Um, and uh, they made an absolute banger of an anime OP. Uh, <laughs> for 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 Kaliskon. and so it's not a uh, released yet when um the, when the video uh promoting the crowdfunding goes live then the song is also going to go up on uh devin's Bandcamp, which is a uh, devin decibel um, so you'll be able to find it there eventually i'm super into that anytime i hear about a podcast getting its own like, as somebody who really likes to make music, th- it's always so exciting to hear other artists' take on on making these things for other people. I'm super into it. I'm really excited to see more about it and see that promotional material. Yeah, it was uh, it was my first time commissioning music, and it went really well. Um, I, you know, sent Devin a bunch of um, like a hand like I think I sent four different songs that I wanted to pull inspiration from with uh, some pretty in-depth notes about what I was uh, particularly inspired from. I, I don't know how many other people do this, but I sort of listen to music in a way that uh, to my knowledge is kind of odd. When I listen to music, it's more about like the narrative that comes through the music. Um, I have a hard time actually paying attention to lyrics <laughs> No, I get um, that. And so, you know, I see basically any song that I listen to enough becomes a, an AMV for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. So, little off topic with this, but I've noticed that a lot more with people who are invested in tabletop role playing games because I know I do it a lot. I have some friends who are in the space who have mentioned doing something similar or listening to certain music to get into their character. So I get that. I feel like there's some people listening who will also understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, one of the players um, made a, 
made a playlist uh, for her character. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out if other players have done that as well. I love that. I love when people really get into character, and it sounds like you've got a lot of really good people who are working behind these characters and really flushing them out. Yeah, there's a lot of dedication from everyone involved, and I'm uh, really proud of all of the hard work everyone has put into into this project. Um, uh, you know, there's because of its nature, it's more than just being a group of friends getting together for mm-hmm. you know sitting around having a session of tabletop role playing games. No, um, th- there's a lot more involved. You know, I, I've sent them at least two questionnaires by this point that I've had them (laughs) fill out. Um, You know, we've got uh, a page of responsibilities and expectations for both players and GMs. Yeah. You know, this is one of the notes in the responsibilities is that this is a game. This is a show. This is an experiment. And those Mm -hmm. three points are kind of the sort of, uh, guiding principles for the project as a whole you know we want to make sure everyone has fun and is safe but also we are putting on a show and that thus there are certain responsibilities that are attendant to that and finally this is also a very experimental project and so there's going to be some weirdness and some additional effort required to make it work because of that it's a twist on the mega game from cons And I think that that's why it's so interesting to me. I know that Beam Saber has been featured on Party of One, and I know very, very well that it was the central system for Partisan from Friends at the Table, which is very commonly talked about on this podcast. (laughs) So I think you're hitting some very cool, very new waters and if this goes well and i outside of just like the the difficulties that come with recording a big show with a lot of people uh, i can't see why it wouldn't i'm so excited for for this project to happen and i'm i'm really hoping that you get as much funding as possible because i want to see what happens with Kaliscon like a lot thank you um Speaking speaking of funding, um, if anyone wants to support uh, this project, uh, you can go to Indiegogo and search for Kalizcon. That's C A L A Z C O N, or you can go to tinyurl.com slash Kalizcon. Again, that's C A L A Z C O N. You can also uh, follow me on socials uh on twitter i'm at not an in n-o-t-a-n-i-n-n um and then i'm austin ramsey games on tumblr co-host and uh mastodon (laughs) well you got to one of my questions earlier i was about to say we need to start kind of wrapping up i'm gonna get you to uh repeat at least some of those links right at the end if that's at all possible but i do have one more question that i love to ask on this show and I think it's good because you're coming at this from a game designer's perspective, but also a a showrunner now. And I'm just wondering, what advice can you give to creators wanting to create their own projects, but they don't know where to start? What advice can you give to that new designer? Um, start with start with ideas. <laughs> like I know that that sounds kind <laughs> of uh, obvious, but. The way that I create anything, whether it's a tabletop role-playing game or an actual play series or a modification to uh, board game rules, or even this is how I wrote essays when I was in university, um, is you start off with just a bullet point list. Any ideas you have, you put them down in this bullet point list. um, And then if there's uh, um, an, an idea that is directly related to one of the existing bullet points list. You put it as a sub bullet point list under that, you know, you hit enter, then hit tab and you make it a, a subgroup on there. And then you just keep doing that. If you're second layer, you have ideas that are directly 
related to that and somewhat subordinate to it, uh, then you do layer three. Um, and then you start asking questions about those each of those bullet points. And then you answer those questions in a sublayer. And eventually you end up with this sort of uh, branching um, document of bullet points laying, laying out a bunch of ideas and questions and answers. Um, and that is the a lot of the work done in terms of ideation. Um, once you get through all those questions and you've answered everything that you think you need to answer, uh, then it's just a matter of making it legible to other people, um, which <laughs> admittedly is the hard part yep. um, and the less fun part. But, you know, by that point, you've already got so many ideas uh, that it, it can feel like a waste to not take that next step and show it to somebody. Yeah. I think that's awesome advice. And I don't think we've ever received that advice in quite that way. We definitely had people telling them, but it makes sense to ask questions and then answer yourself and then get more questions like that. It's one of those ones that's really obvious when you think about it, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I don't know if we've had advice quite like that before. So thank you for your words of wisdom, Austin. Um, You're welcome. I hope, I hope uh, some of your listeners find it useful. I hope they do too. And finally, where are those points where they can find Kaliscon again? Because that is why people are here to listen to this episode. Yeah. So again, um, if you go to Indiegogo and search Kaliscon, C-A-L-A-Z-C-O-N, or tinyurl.com slash Kaliscon. Um, you can also, again, find me on socials at not an in, N-O-T-A-N-I-N-N on Twitter or Austin Ramsey Games on Tumblr, Co-Host, and Mastodon. Um, you can also find me on itch at austin-ramsey.itch.io uh, if you want to pick up Beam Saber or uh, any of its supplements or any of my other tabletop role-playing games. And I'm sure I will post about Kaliscon there as well. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Go and support Austin and Kaliscon and get this show up and running because it sounds really cool. There's so much heart going into this and there's like, there's a lot that can be obtained from this. And I think that it could lead to a, a different direction on shows if, if it's successful and I, I want to see it get successful. I want to see it grow and I'm very excited about it. Austin, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. It's it's been amazing and I I'm really excited for you. I hope this gets up off the air and gets out there for everybody to see. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Austin and Kaliscon are going to be launching very soon. So please keep your ears out. I will be posting about it when they go live so you can support them. If they're already live, then Hey, go check that top link in the description. You can, Go and help them out right there. Take care of yourself. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm here with a friend of the show, Lion Knight from Tales from the Table Studios. Lion, if you want to tell them about what's going on in March, we'd love to hear it. Thanks so much, Zach. Hi, I'm Lion with Tales from the Table Studios. And at the end of March, the 24th through the 26th, we're going to be running a charity drive, the Days of Tales 2, in support of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We're going to be raising money through 36 hours over the course of three days with actual plays, panels, giveaways, and some other really cool stuff that we can't talk about just yet. But it's going to be exciting. We're really excited to do it. And we are looking for people who are interested in spreading the word in any way that they can and sharing in this great opportunity. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. There's some friends of the show on there as well, so I'm really excited for all that to happen. Until next time, though, everybody, enjoy the outro. Thank you so much to Austin for joining us on the show this week. Kala's Con's backing ends on March 10th and has some really cool stuff that you can throw into your shopping cart when you back the project. Flexible funding also means that even if this project doesn't hit the goal, your support will still go to the cast and they can put it towards the show. 
Check out the top link in the description or go straight to the page by typing in KalazCon on Indiegogo. And thank you for listening, audience. If you like what you heard and you want to show your support, why not leave a review on your podcatcher of choice or tell a friend? Word of mouth is how we grow around here. That's all from me, though. I hope to see you somewhere out there. Bye.